all of you. This is the time in the service where we're about to get into God's Word. But just before we do, and in connection with the video you just watched, there's a little card sitting in a chair near you. I want to encourage you to take that. It's just a little tool. It didn't come down out of heaven. It's something somebody made up, and we adopted it from them, and it can be helpful. So it's a tool that might be helpful for you to reach the Mike Rossies in your life. And here's what we're asking you to do. Put somebody's name on the card, and then just start praying for their salvation, and then maybe start serving them some way so you're in their life in a way that they're feeling love. And then maybe the big thing is to invite them to something. Invite them to church, invite them to your group, invite them out for coffee, invite them into your heart more deeply, invite them on vacation with you. Uh, yeah, people do that. They'll take friends on vacation who aren't believers so that they might, you know, mix it up for Christ. So uh, somehow or other, try and reach the Mike Rossi that might be in your life. Spirit of God has put him there, put you there, her there, you there, and you want to reach them. So please use that little tool. We hope it's helpful. Now we're going to read from God's Word. This is the passage we'll be looking at today. We'll read it, and then we'll pray, and then we'll go into it. So this is God's Word. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 25. We saw this part in the last two weeks. We're not going to repeat it, but I want to read it anyway. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Why? For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So we got that far last week. Now, this part's new. This is what we're going to cover today. And hopefully all that we're about to read here we'll cover today. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for bringing us into this time and this place that we may come aside from all our earthly pursuits and be still before you and know that you are God. You will be exalted in the heavens and you'll be exalted in the earth and may you be exalted now in each of our hearts. We thank you for those you've brought into our assembly today and joining us sometime online. And they are far from you, but you've brought them that they might hear of the Lord Jesus. And we pray that they may call upon his name today and become his people, believers, his followers, followers of the Lamb. And we who are your followers, Lord Jesus, we, we look up to you now and pray with all our hearts. We pray earnestly that you'll be our shepherd, that you'll shepherd us now by your holy word. May your rod and your staff comfort us. Guide us to green pastures and still waters. Guide us away from all that is dark and evil. So have your way with us now according to your word. May the Spirit of God speak it in power to our souls. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So let's go to Ephesians 4.28. And there it is. We're going to start there. Let me read it again. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing 
honest work. I like that phrase, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So there are two assumptions in this verse. I think the first assumption is you're, you're a Christian. He's speaking to believers here. This is not how you become a Christian. This is not how you become right with God. I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll stop doing the other, that'll make me a Christian. No, you become a Christian, even as you heard from Mike Rossi's talk before me, you become a Christian by grace through faith, by calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus. And he washes you and cleanses you by his shed blood and makes you a child of God. So what's this then? This is not how you become a Christian, this is how you live as a Christian. Because as a Christian, you have a new heart, and you love God, and you love his things, you love his law, you, you love holiness, and so you love what comes in his word like this. This is for believers. This is how he wants us to live. So that's one assumption. We're assuming, assuming you're a believer. Here's another assumption. Paul's assumption seems to be that we've all stolen. Well, maybe not all, but he says, let the thief so at least a lot of us, he's not wasting time speaking to one out of a thousand here, but I would, I would go so far as to say, yeah, we've all stolen in one way or another, this is us. All of us can say, that's me. Maybe you've stolen like directly, you went and stole something. Maybe you stole kind of indirectly. I had a job in Denver many years ago. I was a seminary student. I worked in a woodworking shop, make some money and try to keep us alive, barely did. And uh, I went in, we're going to have a baby, asked the boss for a raise, he gave me a raise. One of my other seminary students, one of my buddies worked there also, and he went in and asked for a raise, and the boss said, no, because you're stealing from me. And Jim says, his name is Jim, Jim says, what do you mean I'm stealing from you? And he said, you're always standing around on my time, talking and talking and talking, that's stealing from me. There's more ways than one that you can steal. You might be stealing from your employer. You might have stolen coins from your mama's purse. You might be stealing what you owe somebody. You're stealing from your children when you don't invest in them, when you ignore them, when you just pursue your own interests and play with your own toys. There are lots of ways you can steal besides just, you know, stealing. <laughs> yeah, that. So, so Paul assumes there's a lot of thieves in the flock. He's not wasting prime time here to just talk to one in a thousand. And here he has directions for the thief. Let the thief no longer. So you used to, no longer. This is what you used to do. Stop it, no longer. That thing you were doing, do it no longer. Hard line in the sand, Lord Jesus, by your grace, help me, no longer. I still feel the temptation, I still feel the pull, but may it be no longer. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, may I no longer do that stealing thing. Let the thief no longer steal. Now this is such a big problem that it actually made it into the Ten Commands, right? Stealing is such a big problem. It's the Eighth Command, which simply says, you shall not steal. So it made it into the Ten. This is a pretty big human problem. We're not wasting time on this. How big is the human problem? Well, I thought this would be interesting, so I looked. The FBI's Uniform Crime Reporting Program says, quote, larceny theft is defined as the unlawful taking, carrying, leading, or riding away, it's a car or a bike, uh, of property from the possession or constructive possession of another. Examples are thefts of bicycles, motor vehicle parts, accessories, shoplifting, pocket pick picking. They have a long list of what it is. Well, is there much of all that? Yes, they say. In 2019, in the USA, there were an estimated 5 million 
86,096 larceny thefts nationwide. That got reported. And like how many didn't get reported? So over 5 million in 2019, so uh, according to the FBI. So that's a lot of theft going on. I'd just be curious. So Debbie and I have been stolen from a number of times, car broken into, house broken into, stuff like that. How many of you have been the, the subject of a theft? Somebody stole from you. Yeah, a lot of hands went up. So this is prevalent in our world. So Paul says, but, but no longer if you're in Christ, no longer. May that be your heart now. May that be your ambition. I'm no longer going to steal from my employer. I'm no longer going to steal, I hate to say this, from the IRS. I'm no, but I have to say it because it's true. Jesus said, render to Caesar what's due to Caesar. And Caesar gets to determine what's due. You don't. You might begrudgingly render it, but try to do it joyfully in the Lord. I don't sound very joyful about it, do I? But no longer, no longer steal. However it is you've been stealing. And then he gives us, but the, but rather. So remember, there's this put off and put on thing going on in Ephesians 4. It's not enough to just stop doing the thing you're, it's not enough to just stop stealing. It's that thing about when is a thief no longer a thief? And the answer is when he becomes something else. What's the something else? And the something else of the text is when he becomes a worker who acquires with the purpose of giving to someone who has a need. Now, that's a rehabilitated thief. They have a different heart about things. They have a different heart about need. And let's read the text then. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather, here's the put-on side, let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So instead of being a thief with your hands, you're to labor. That's, that's a word that means the dictionary definition of that Greek word, I believe it's kapiao, and it means to toil to the point of exhaustion. So you're working hard. The boss says, hey, you want to work a double today? Yeah, because then I can give a lot more money to those people who need. That's your motivation. That's your ambition. Should I ask for raising hands? How many of you actually do that? <laughs> Probably fewer of us, huh? It's like, oh, I can get overtime? Good. Then I can buy the new tires for my bike. But no, no. He says, don't steal. But here's a rehabilitated thief. You labor. You work hard. Doing honest work. See, you were doing dishonest work. There's honest work and there's dishonest work. Dishonest work, dishonest work is you're a mechanic and you tell people, yeah, your car needs 3,000 bucks of repair and it really only needed 50. Flip a switch and it's all better. You're doing honest work if you say, ma'am, I, I could charge you 10,000 to fix your three chimneys, but actually you only need about 100 bucks and here's what you need. And don't believe the other guy who gave you the big estimate honest work. You're doing honest work. You're known for honest work. Honest work with his own hands. Now, that doesn't mean you just you need to be like a, a physical laborer. That doesn't mean you need to be a farmer. That's, that's an honorable profession, an honorable calling, but it doesn't mean you need to be that. It doesn't mean you need to be a bricklayer. I'm working with my hands, but that's an honorable calling. But what it does mean is you're, you're, you need to be working with those hands, not stealing with those hands. So I work with my hands like this all the time. I work with my hands like this all the time. I work with my hands like this. I lay hands on somebody and pray for them. That's working with your hands, all right? I qualify. I don't have to be a bricklayer. 
but I am supposed to labor doing honest work with my own hands. So my hands aren't stealing, pilfering anymore. My hands are doing honest work. And then with this amazing, really a rehabilitated thief, purpose clause, so that, do it for this purpose, that you may have something to share with anyone in need. I'm so glad I can make more money than I need because then I can use some of my discretionary funds to give to people who don't have enough for what they need. That's to be in your heart. Have you stolen? Did you qualify in the first part? Yeah, I'm one who stole. Then the rest of the verse is speaking directly to you. Then here's God's word for you. Show yourself rehabilitated and work to give. That's pretty amazing. I feel like we need to stop and just pray real hard for a while right now, but that wouldn't be good sermonic form, but we need to pray that in. Become a generous giver. That's the opposite of a thief. A generous giver, an excited giver. I'm so excited to give. I'll work to get so I can give. So I can give to the, price, the crisis pregnancy center. So I can give to the, the deacons fund so they can distribute to the needy among us and around us. So I can give to the people in my life. So you become a generous giver. Let me give you an illustration of one. One of my classmates in Washington Bible College. We went through all four years together. He was the, he's one of the sons of the seminary president. So he had the college, and then he had the seminary, the graduate division, went there also, and Dr. Heater, and then one of his sons was my classmate. So we were friends. We went through, through school together. Debbie and I got married before my senior year, and he and his wife got married somewhere in there too. And, and I was his college and career Sunday school teacher uh, in the church we, we went to, and he liked me. And they said, um, look, we don't make a lot of money. He was managing something. She might have been a secretary, but we'd like to pay for your school. Would you mind if we did that? Do you think I minded? <laughs> they paid for my school my senior year of college. They paid for my school my freshman year as a, do you even call that a freshman? My first year in, in graduate school, in seminary. And uh, then I made the mistake of switching to Denver Seminary, and they said, oh, that's it, we're cutting it off. Should have stayed in Maryland, Heartland. But anyway, that's an example of a guy working to give. They could have bought a really nice car with what they gave for me to get through school. They could have made a down payment on a pretty decent house with what they gave me to get me through school. Oh, they even put enough in there that I was able to buy books, and not just the books demanded by the classes, but extra books that I found in the bookstore that I was like, ooh, I would like this one. Put it on the tab. That was pretty sweet. Are you anything like that? Would that excite you? Hey, I can give and help this person while they're preparing for the ministry. I can give and help this person out. So there you have stealing, no more stealing, but working and giving. All right, we're going to leave that one. May the Spirit apply it to your heart as needed. But we're going to go on. Here's what comes next. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk. So now we're leaving your hands that steal and we're going to your lips that talk. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. It's kind of funny. It's almost like it has a life of its own and it's in you. There's, there's corrupting talk in me and it's trying to crawl out and come out of my mouth, but you must stop it. 
We'll talk about not even having it in you in a minute, but let no corrupting talk make its way out of your mouth. Stop it right there. Zip it. But only such, well, what talk does come out of my mouth? That's the put off. Here's the put on. But only such as is good. Only let good talk come out. Is it good? Is it callous? Is it well? Is it beneficial? Is it life-giving? Will it help them? Is it good? Only let the good come out of your mouth. Good for something specific. Good for building up. Wait a minute. Should I say this? Will it build them up? No, it won't build them up. It's going to tear them down. Well, I won't do that. That's slander. We already covered that. Only let what's good It's going to build up. It's going to build up my husband. It's going to build up my wife. It's going to build up my kids. It's going to build up my parents. It's going to build up my friends. It's going to build up other believers. Only let the speech come out of your mouth that is good for building up, as fits the occasion, all kinds of occasions where it needs building up. He can't possibly cover them all. You imagine them. Only let that come out of your mouth. It's good. This will build them up. This will strengthen them. That's a, a... an agricultural, no, I'm sorry, not agricultural, architectural term. It's a building term. You're building up a building. You're putting up an edifice. You want to build them up. Oh, Lord, may my words build them up. May my words be good for building up as fits the occasion. And then I love the way he ends it, that it may give grace to those who hear. God can beam his grace directly down into their souls you don't, you're not needed in that interaction, but he often chooses to use means, and we're often the means, and he uses you to be the vehicle of grace, to minister his grace to them through your words. And so you want to learn that your words are good. They build up. They minister the grace of God to the people who hear you. Wow, those are blessed people who hear you. So be this kind of husband to your wife. Be this kind of wife to your husband. Be this kind of friend to your friends. Be this way at work. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But what is good, what builds up, what gives grace to those who hear. Now let me go back to the first phrase there, no corrupting talk. And let's just talk about that translation and that phrase. It's literally no rotten word. It's the Greek word sapros, rotten. It's used very commonly in the first century in the Greek world of uh, like rotting stuff in your trash can, and it stinks. That's the word here. If you go out to a big trash dump, and it's lying there rotting in the sun, and it stinks, that's this word. Don't let anything rotten come out of your mouth. But it could be translated two ways. So here's a problem, and the versions go differently. Like ours says, let no corrupting talk, but the King James has let no corrupt communication, the New American Standard, let no unwholesome word. So is it talk that will corrupt others, or is it talk that is in itself corrupt? And it really could go either way, and so I'm just going to take both. Don't do either. All right, fair enough. So don't say things that are rotten. Don't say things that are tempting others to become rotten. It will corrupt them. So let's take the first part. Don't say things that are rotten. That is when you have a mouth like a drunken sailor, for example. Don't do that. Put off. Maybe you used to have that mouth. Every time you opened your mouth, it was potty, potty, potty mouth. Put that off because that's not good. That's not edifying. That's not building up. That's not ministering the grace of God. 
So we might call it trash talk, but not in the common sense of what we hear. Trash, it's trashy words. Talk, 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 talk. Am I saying a Christian should never utter certain words? Well, not necessarily. It depends on the context. But if you're uttering this in anger, you blankety-blank, you bleep, bleep, whatever you're... No, not those words. That's not wholesome. That's not healthy. So it, it might just mean that. Um, nothing rotten. Just for an illustration, in case I've lost your interest, you do illustrations to try and gain, regain interest. You also do them to shed further light where it's needed. So I'll just give you an example of something rotten in our house. People telling me to be more transparent. Oh, Debbie, I'm about to be real transparent with them. So we used to have a little trash can under our sink, but it filled up too fast all the time. You have to take it out, take it out. So we got bigger trash cans, like that big. You step on it, the lid pops up, it's pretty cool. In the kitchen... But what we found is we can only let it get about that full or stuff starts to stink. So now, like, it didn't work. So an unintended second-order effect of, of getting the bigger trash can is uh, now we have to get bigger trash can bags, and we have to, it's more difficult getting them in and out, and now we have to dump that thing just as frequently anyway, so why did it help? But here's the really transparent part. So recently, I popped the lid on that thing, and I noticed little white things all under the lid. It was larva. There's a worse word for that, but it's larva. And I thought, oh, man, where'd that come from? So I thought, all right, I got to fix this. So I took the trash can out in the front yard, which is the size of a postage stamp. I got the hose out, and I hosed out all the, all the larvae. I left them in our front yard, never thinking they were going to hatch two or three days later, and they did. And my neighbor grabbed me. I was coming in. He was outside. And he said, hey, did you see your front yard? No, what? He says, it's just like full of these bugs crawling in there. They have wings, but they're all crawling. They're everywhere. Have you seen this? And I didn't tell him. Oh, I know what that is. <laughs> I told him, so strange. You don't have any in your yard? I don't know what that is. <laughs> then I had to go out and buy this spray and spray the whole yard and spray the front end of the house and everything and kill all the bugs. And they were all dead the next day. All that because something was rotting. That's what your rotten speech is like. That's about what it's like in the sight of God. That's what it's like for other people. It's just rotten. So putrid, foul, corrupt. But it also means, well, let me just pause there again. If you get so mad that you're dropping profanity all over the people you love, then you need to go back a sermon or two and really re-listen to the ones on anger because you don't want to be doing that. You don't want to be dropping those bombs on the people you love. Never, never, ever. Lord, I used to. Help me by your grace. Never again. But instead, may my words be good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. When you're done talking with your family, they say, man, that ministered grace to me. Their words were good. Let that always, always, always be but this also means not just corrupt, the words in themselves are corrupt, bad words, but it also means corrupting. That's when you say things that might corrupt others, like, hey, let's get drunk. Hey, let's steal that bicycle. Hey, we're not married, but let's do the married thing. Hey, that's corrupting talk. Now you're inviting someone else to break God's commandments. You're inviting someone else to grieve the Holy Spirit. So let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Hey, let's go do, and you put in the bad thing. You put in the broken command. 
And Paul says, don't let it come out of your mouth. Again, it's like it's alive and it's in there and it's trying to get out. Don't let it out. You want another illustration? Here's another one. Two in one sermon. Can you believe it? So here's, I don't like wasting time on illustrations if I think you already understand. But anyway, this might help. So Debbie and I went to Rita's the other day for ice cream. How many of you like Rita's? Yeah, Rita's rocks. So we went to Rita's, got ice cream. We're sitting there on the little red bench eating our ice cream. And some people came in. They had a big dog in their car. I like dogs, man. There was a dog watching the dog in the car. They got out, and they're over there getting their ice cream. And the dog, he's like, they're all out there. And the window was open. And after a minute, he just went right out of that car. The window was down. He started running around, terrifying everybody. It was pretty crazy. So what am I illustrating there? Don't let the bad words come out. Keep the window up, huh? I mean, it's bad enough that the words are even in there. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But if they are in there, don't let them out. Stop them. Let, don't let them come out of your mouth. Put up the window. But now let's talk about, I've hinted at it twice, let's talk about the deeper thing. You remember every command about an outward activity also has a component that's about what's going on in your heart. Best illustrated by the fact that Jesus said, commit adultery. If you look at a woman to lust for her, you're committing adultery in your heart. So you can take every command and go, now what's the heart part of this? There's a heart part of this. It's not like it's okay to have all these angry, bad words and corrupting talk going on in your soul just so you don't let them out. Well, I'm, I must really be pleasing God because I'm not letting those things out. No, you want to know what will really please him is when they're not there. They're not there to stop. You don't have to stop them because they're not there in your soul. When, when is a person who is using corrupting talk and damaging other people by, when are they really rehabilitated? It's when it's not even in their heart anymore. That's where you want to be. That's the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. God is always interested in your heart. So you want to get to where you're not saying angry things to yourself in your heart. You're not saying mean and nasty things in your heart. You're not swearing like a sailor in your heart. Well, but I'm holy. I didn't let it come out. God kind of knows what's in your heart. Let me just remind you of that by a scripture or two, just one, really. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. That's deep down, man. Of joints and of marrow. That's deep down. And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word discerns the thoughts and intentions of your heart, and those are all done in the sight of God. He knows what's going on in your heart. You want your heart to be a pleasing garden of grace, a sweet-smelling savor before him. God is always concerned with your heart. So you can't say, I'm really, really holy because I keep all my rotten words in. No, it's how about there are no longer rotten words in there. Saving Christianity changes people at the deepest level. It changes us at the level of our heart. It's out of the heart, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So change the abundance of the heart. So the heart is filled with grace. Well, he's going to tell us what to be filled with. It's going to be filled with kindness. It's going to be filled with compassion. 
So that's what you put off. Let's go to the verse again. Back to that verse, please, or it's the next slide, really. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good. Lord, help my mouth, my heart to be filled with things that are good. Good for building up. We already talked about that. Good that it may give grace to those who hear. Hey, this is a little bit of an aside, but this might help. It's at least interesting to me. Have you stopped to think about, probably most of you have, how amazing speech is, communication via words? What an amazing thing that is, that I have this thing called a brain, and it will generate an idea, and I'd like to share that idea with you, and I'm able to, and I've learned how to speak, and I make certain vocal sounds, and you've learned to understand those sounds, and those sounds leave my mouth and go into your ears, and they go up to your brain, and you understand the words that I'm saying. Isn't that an amazing thing that that works? Have you thought about that? And now we're being told how to use it. You have this amazing gift, this amazing talent to influence others for good or for bad, to hurt them or to bless them. Use it to bless them. Use it to build. Use it to be good. Use it to edify. Don't be like Proverbs 14.1. This could be a man or a woman. In this case, it's a woman. The wise woman builds her house. That's wise. But the foolish pulls it down with her hands. Well, I think that's really her words. Why does he say hands? Because we're picturing a house and you're pulling it down with your hands. But I, I don't, it, it's not your hands, whether you're a man or a woman. It's not your hands that hurt things generally. It's your words. The foolish pulls it down with their words. Don't be that man. Don't be that woman. Make sure your words edify. that it may give grace. What's it like when your words edify and your words give grace? I think Proverbs 25, 11 gives us a wonderful illustration. There's no slide for this. It talks about like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. In other words, it's a beautiful thing and it's a valuable and precious thing. You want that to be your words. When you're with your wife and you're speaking to her, your words need to be like apples of gold in settings of silver. Or again, Proverbs 15, 23. A man has joy in an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word. Oh man, when you say just the right thing to me, and it's good, and it edifies, and it ministers God's grace, I go home just happy, just blessed just smacking my lips. That was so good. A man has joy in an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word. Let me speak a little bit more about how you can use your words to help others. We're going to go to Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 10. I bring these up. I cycle these two in every now and then because we need to hear them over and over. Hebrews 3, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, there it is, as long as it is called today, meaning as long as you're still alive, when it's no longer called today, it's because you died, so that, there's a purpose, why do you exhort one another every day? That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Oh, there's a real danger of that. How do you avoid that danger? You have other people exhorting you 
For we have come to share in Christ if, indeed, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. If you don't walk away from Christ, if you don't turn from him, if you don't deny him, if you don't stop believing, if you don't stop following, if you don't become an apostate, but you keep following and you die in Christ, if we hold fast. So we're to exhort one another. Those are good words. Good words. Or again, Hebrews 10. Here we go, Hebrews 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Same theme. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider. Think about this. Turn this over in your mind. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So you're a wife and you have a husband, and those are the words you want to give him. Let me think about how can I stir my man up to love and good works. You spouse to spouse, parents, children, children, parents, friends in church. I'm going to think about, we're going to go spend some time with people. I'm going to think about how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. So you often do this thing at church, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Man, that's good use of words. You want to be in a community where there's lots of those words shooting around. Lots of those words firing around. One reason you don't want to miss a Sunday unnecessarily is because you want to give and receive those words. You want to come and exhort other people so they can hold fast and you can hold fast. So your words. Man, take your heart and the words that are in it up to Christ and say, Lord Jesus, would you purify my heart and purify my words and fill my heart and my words with grace that I can minister to other people. And then he goes on, Ephesians 4, next. Uh, that's it, 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve him. Now, this is an aside, but I'm just going to give it to you. It's a little theological thing. It'd be great to have a sermon on this thing, but we can't. We're not doing that today. But when he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, you must understand that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are, here's the theological term that is being used for this, they are, they are impassable, or they have impassibility. What does impassibility mean? It means that God is always joyful, and he is always wrathful at the same time. In other words, he doesn't get, he's not like humans. We're, if you're really mad, you're not joyful. If you're really joyful, you're not mad. You get mad, and then you leave it. We're up and down emotionally as humans. God is not up and down emotionally at all, in spite of all the things in the Bible about, like, for example, this grieved him. It's not that God was happy, and then a moment later, ooh, he saw what you did, and now he's grieved. He's not like that. He's always one billion percent joyful and happy and delighted, and he's also always 100 percent grieved, and he's always 100 percent angry at sin, and, and it never changes. There's no change in him. So it's not like he gets angry and then he's happy again. No, it's not like he was happy, but oh, now you grieved him. No, he's always grieved because there's always things to grieve him. He's always joyful because there are always things for him to be joyful. That's the impassibility of God. Just thought I'd throw that in there. So when Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, what's he doing? He's accommodating to our human understanding without explaining God's impassibility. He's just saying, all right, think of it humanly the way you will. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve him. 
Don't grieve him by referring back to the previous verses by lying. Don't grieve him by anger. Don't grieve him by stealing. Don't grieve him by rotten speech that tears down. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Anything that breaks God's commands grieves the Holy Spirit. By the way, the Holy Spirit's not an it. He can be grieved. He's not a force. He's personal. He can be grieved. So your words might grieve the Holy Spirit. By the way, Paul probably lifted this idea from Isaiah 63. Let me share the verse with you here. This is of Israel, God's love and God's pity and God's redemption poured out upon them. And here we read, but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. Paul probably lifted the idea from right there and plugged it right into Ephesians. Don't do that. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. By whom you were sealed. What's that part? That comes up a number of times. The Holy Spirit seals believers. There's a bunch of ministries he performs. I have a list here, but I'm going to skip it. A bunch of things he does, but he seals believers. What does a seal mean? It means like he puts you in an envelope, licks it, and seals it. And now you're, you're in the hand of Christ, who's in the Father, and you're kept by the power of God unto a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so you persevere. This is how come you keep on believing. This is how come you don't become an apostate. This is how come you keep mortifying your sins, because you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. This is an important enough doctrine that it's already appeared once in Ephesians, Ephesians 1.13. Here it is. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You're sealed when you first believe in Christ. Again, in 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The seal is a down payment, and erebon is the Greek word. It's a guarantee. How do I know I'm really in Christ? Because I know I have the spirit of God. This Abba wells up within me. Where'd that come from? How come I love God so much? I never used to. Where'd that come from? It came from God. It came from his seal. The seal comes up again in Revelation chapter 7. There are going to be some horrific times on the planet, and God doesn't want the horrific times to turn his people away from believing in Christ, turn them away from following Christ. So before the horrific times can happen, it says, Revelation 7, 3, this is not a slide, do not harm the land or sea or trees until we have sealed the foreheads of the servants of our God. And what John is seeing as a seal is in reality depicting the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So it gives you the Holy Spirit so you don't walk away from Jesus Christ. Why is this in here? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. Show us the verse again, please, slide in. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It means this. Look, God gave you the Holy Spirit. He stuck you in an envelope, licked it, and put it shut. You are sealed. You're in the hands of Christ. You're going to be caused to persevere. You'll be found in Christ at the last day. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He's doing that for you. Don't grieve him. Don't grieve him by, what was the list? By 
Lying and anger and stealing and rotten speech that tears down. Don't grieve him. You have the Holy Spirit. What's his name? Holy Spirit. What does a Holy Spirit do when he indwells you? He works to make you holy. So don't grieve him in his work for that purpose. Let's move on. Verse 31. So let all bitterness, here he's kind of a grab bag, he throws it all in there, so we're not spending a lot of time on it. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, the word clamor means shouting, yelling, raising your voice, screaming at people, getting really mad and losing it. Let all of that and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. That's what you put off. Now here's the put on. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. That assumes there will be some transgressions. It's not like, should I marry him? Is he a sinner? Oh, he's a sinner. It's just a question of which sins. So you're going to have to do a lot of forgiving. Any good marriage, there's a lot of forgiving. Any good friendship, there's some forgiving. In any church life, there's definitely some forgiving. And this is to characterize us. We're kind, tender-hearted, forgiving. Pray, oh God, make me kind to my wife. Make me kind to my kids. Make me kind to my sibling, to my brother, to my sister. Lord, make me kind. Thank you that the blood of Christ shed for sinners removes it from God's sight. But now in your actual life, you want to be kind tender-hearted, forgiving one another. So there's the put-off, and there's what you put on. Put on kind, put on tender-hearted, put on forgiving. The older you get, the, the longer you are in Jesus Christ, the more kind you ought to be, the more tender-hearted you ought to be, the more forgiving you ought to be. So this is God's word for us today. Now I'm going to close with this. I have three little things I want to say when we close. Number one, I just want to remind you. So this has not been, the message of the Bible is not, do these things to become a Christian. That's not the message. The message is not, do these things to earn God's favor. That's not the message. You can't earn God's favor. It's free. He gives you his favor when you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to say it again. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ plus nothing. So this is not works righteousness. This is a righteousness that works, that produces good works. So let's make that clear. The message of the Bible isn't, but is. Here's a second thing in closing. Now I'm pretty sure a lot of us have sat through this message and we got more and more and more disappointed in ourselves, right? Oh man, oh, that one hit me. Next word comes out, oh, that one hit me. Next word comes out, that one got me. And by the end of the sermon, we're all like pretty beat down, right? Well, I just wanna say, uh, welcome to the club. Look, I had to get beat down by it all week long, so preparing it for you. So it's, it's fair if you get it for 40 minutes. Welcome to Cornerstone Church where we give you a 40 minute beat down. So 
the not too well kept secret is we are all disappointed in ourselves. If you're not disappointed in yourself, you're not paying attention. You don't know yourself. You're not being honest before the word. You're not really letting it search you. Welcome to the club. Take it to Christ. Take it right up to your Savior. All that discipline. Lord, I'm so disappointed because I'm that and I've been doing that and those words have been coming. Take it to Christ. Remember you found pardon in him and now seek grace to put off and to put on. Seek help by the Spirit of God. Memorize scriptures about it. Don't try and fight a little war. I'll fight a little teeny war and make it all go away. It isn't going to go away with a little teeny war. It's in you. You need to fight a big war. Fight a big war. And here's a third thing in closing. And maybe some of you are really discouraged because some of the things that came out in the text, you've been trying to beat and you failed and you tried and you failed and you tried and you failed and you're hurting the people you love and you're feeling like I'm such a failure. Don't stop pursuing Christ because you've been a failure. Don't stop pursuing Christ because you've been discouraged. Don't let it get you to where, where you say, well, I just give up. I'm just gonna quit. I can't seem to break. Well, you really can. You're just not doing the right things. If you're doing the right things, you can break it. You can change. This thing will be harder for that person. This will be harder for that person. By the grace of God, you can change these things. They're not in the Bible just to make you feel bad. They're in the Bible to change you, and you can change. So don't let discouragement stop you. And remember, you can't say can't. What do I mean by that? So let me remind you in closing, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will with the temptation also make you a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You can't say, I can't. No, that verse says you can. God, God's made a way that you can beat that. He's made a way that you can escape the power of that temptation. So don't stop growing because you're discouraged. Be of good cheer. The Word of God and the Spirit of God are the most powerful change agents on the planet. You can apply them to your need. Let's pray for that. Father, Thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ shed for the remission of our sins. And we all come and confess before you uh, what guilty and undeserving sinners we are. We feel like Isaiah in chapter 6 where he says, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And well, we are and we do, Lord. Thank you for your grace that pardons sinners like us, free and unmerited grace. May people in this room today discover it and draw near to you through Jesus Christ. Many of us have, and now we need your grace to help us to put off and to put on. So may your grace be powerful in us, Lord. May it meet every need represented in this room. Have your way with us. Do your work in us, for we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.